Out of Control. That's the name of the song that we're opening this episode of Monster Kid Radio with. The song is from the band The Mighty Surf Lords. It's on their album Into the Surf, and you can find them over at MightySurfLords.com, or you can follow the link in the show notes over at MonsterKidRadio.net. Welcome to episode 149 of Monster Kid Radio, where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, and this week we've got some more classics lined up. This time around, we're going to talk about the 1944 film from Universal. It's a monster rally. It's House of Frankenstein from director Earl C. Kenton. We're talking about Frankenstein's monster, the Wolfman, Dracula, a mad scientist, a hunchback thrown into the mix. It's a good time. It's a good film, and we have a good discussion lined up with Frank Dietz. Frank is back here on Monster Kid Radio talking about House of Frankenstein. I'm excited to talk about this movie with him. This is a particular favorite of his, and after re-watching it, for the show, I can say it's a particular favorite of mine as well. Before we get to all that, though, let me tell you a little bit about the podcast. You can find out everything you need to know about the show over at MonsterKidRadio.net. This is where you're going to find links to everything that we talk about here in the show, including Frank's Kickstarter project. We'll get back to that here at the end of the show and make sure everybody knows where that's at. You can also find links to our Facebook group where people are having conversations about the show between episodes and where I occasionally make announcements about upcoming episodes of Monster Kid Radio. In fact, last week I made an announcement about well, what we're talking about this time around. So go join the Facebook group if you are a member of Facebook. Also, while you're over there, why don't you look up Monster Kid Radio and give us a like. We're trying to collect likes here on Monster Kid Radio. As of this recording, we have 388 likes. How awesome would it be to hit 400 likes by the time we hit episode 150? More on that here in a little bit as well. Back to MonsterKidRadio.net. You can also find links to our internet radio station on Live 365. This is where you're going to hear music and sounds from classic monster movies going from the 30s to the 60s with a few outliers and the 90s and such that, well, it makes sense. You'll have to listen to it to find out how. We also have links to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show. You can go directly there by going to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio. By supporting the show, well, you can earn some rewards, like getting your name on the official Monster Kid Radio receiver's email list, or even a special kind of sort of podcast, which would be a collection of material that did not make the final cut. Material from the Monster Kid Radio cutting room floor, things that weren't really relevant to the episode that they were recorded for, but still kind of fun. We share that with patrons if they are at a particular level at patreon.com and people who are patrons of monster kid radio well you can be expecting well that podcast that i mentioned later this month of course we'd like to give special thanks to our patrons like justin jello thank you for supporting the show man here in the portland area i've been going to the joy cinema lately for their weird wednesday showings now this Wednesday, I am not going to their weird Wednesday presentation of Indestructible Man. As much as I love Lon Chaney, well, I love my wife more, and Wednesday is her birthday. So I'm going to spend the night with her and celebrate her birthday. Next week, well, I may be going back, depending on what monster movie they're showing. I've reached out to Jeff Martin at the Joy Cinema to find out what their weird Wednesday offering is for next week. As soon as we know, well, we'll mention it on Facebook, and then we'll mention it, hopefully, on the next episode of Monster Kid Radio here in a couple of days. But before we get to all that, I want to talk about House of Frankenstein with Frank. So... The way we approached this recording was as if we had both watched the movie and we are now going to talk about our reactions to the film. The reason it sounds like that 
is because we recently just watched the movie and we recorded our reactions to the film. So we aren't going through a plot point by plot point kind of breakdown. We're just going to talk about our reactions to the film. It does get a little spoilery. So if you're overly concerned about that, well, you can always pause the show and then go watch the movie. It's not that long. And then you can come right back here for part one of our conversation with Frank Dietz about 1944's House of Frankenstein. We're going to kick that off right after this. They have never lived before as they live now. One man has already died and the other was never born. Both exist in a world between life and death. Both long to be human. Neither can ever be. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Ten dead men's bodies were used to fashion Dr. Frankenstein's infamous creature. Tens of dozens of victims have kept Count Dracula alive for three centuries. Only one of these beings will survive their meeting. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Brand new thrills, brand new horror, brand new shock. Dracula versus Frankenstein, in color, rated GP. It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Dai Kaiju Attack. The serialized giant monster story. Presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. Spawned from the depths of doom comes the most fearful monster of the ages to strike with paralyzing terror the despoilers of ancient tombs. Here is new horror by the master of menace, Lon Chaney as the mummy, with Dick Foran, John Hubbard, Ellie's Knox, George Zuko, Wallace Ford, Turon Bay, in The Mummy's Tomb. A creature that's been alive for over 3,000 years is in this town, and it's brought death with it. We've got to run it down. I'd like to welcome back to the show actor, artist, animator, writer, and Monster Kid, Frank Dietz. How's it going, Frank? Oh, it's going great, Derek. Thanks for having me back on. Happy to be here. It's been way too long. Yeah, been a long time. Yeah, when we had you on last, we talked about the King Kong documentary, which we were talking off mic. It's still going, and yep. we'll see some movement happening with that soon. I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah, uh, we should be going into the editing phase uh, just after the new year. We'll definitely have a 2015 release. 
Peter Jackson uh, is, uh, is agreed to be in it, so that's very exciting for us. So it's uh, moving forward, which is great. It's exciting for us, too, because we're going to get to see it. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, That's fantastic. I'm really stoked for that. I'm excited about that documentary. Big fan of King Kong. Big fan of what you did with Beast Wishes. So that's going to be a, a treat, yeah. I think. And, I mean, we'll mention this at the end. And, and we're here to talk about a movie, but I want to mention this right off the bat. Sketchy Things, The Art of Frank Dietz. Mm-hmm. It's a new project you've got going. It just launched as of this recording what, yesterday, right? Yeah, yesterday. And it is a collection of the artwork you've published over the years yeah. in a new hardback edition. Yeah, uh, there will be both. There will be a soft cover edition and a, a deluxe hardcover edition. But, yeah, it's basically I've been known for these illustrations for many years. And uh, what, what became my signature style, which was sort of a caricature look to it. But then I you know, went on and, and did some more fine artwork as well. But, you know, all classic monster stuff, uh, stuff that I grew up loving. And um, the old sketchbooks have been sold out for quite some time. So it was time to put together a, a, a best of book, which is essentially what this is. Of course, we'll have a link in the show notes so people can check that out. It's sketchy things, the art of Frank Dietz over at Kickstarter. I think people need to check it out. And, you know, if they're monster kids and they're online and they've ever done image searches for any of their favorite monsters, I'm sure your artwork's popped up because I've seen it <laughs> online over the years. I love it. I love it when I go to Google's image search something and my own artwork shows up in the, in the <laughs> results. That's kind of fun. Have you ever drawn Boris Karloff as Dr. Neiman? Yes, I have actually. Uh, a couple of times. One, I did a pen and ink study of him once, and then a, and then a pencil caricature of him as Nemon. I did him with beard and without beard. <laughs> when he's without beard, he definitely looks like Boris Karloff in the film. And, and I'm bringing up Dr. Nemon because that's the movie we're going to talk about today. We're talking about House of Frankenstein featuring Boris Karloff in a wonderful role. Yeah. Oh, he's so good. Dr. Gustav Niemann. Yeah. Who's just like dripping with evil and, <laughs> and, and, and nuts also. I mean, he's crazy. He's completely, he's like, at least Dr. Frankenstein, you know, had, uh, had some, uh, sense of intelligence to him. I mean, I mean <laughs> like, like what he was planning to do made sense. Right. Sort uh, of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to a certain degree. I mean, yeah. he's like a real scientist, but <laughs> Dr. Neiman is just flipped out. He's trying to put brains of dogs into people's heads or vice versa. And, you know, in the very beginning of the movie, he's in this in this cell in this uh, prison. And he's, he's got these chalk drawings all over the boards. And it looks, I swear, <laughs> you know, it looks like the school desk of a third grader. You know, it's with all these like <laughs> crazy drawings written all over that show like here's the dog and here's the dog's brain and this is the where the the brain is going to go into the human or i think it's the other way around actually the human brain is going to go into a dog why yeah <laughs> what, what are you going to get out of that exactly you know what i mean so it's pretty funny um that he's just completely bonkers uh, <laughs> oh but, yeah but as always karloff brings such conviction to the role that uh, you're just you're just ready to go with it. Sure, <laughs> why not? You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He's he's all in, and less than three minutes in, you're seeing the, the sketches on the wall, like you were talking about with the. <laughs> <laughs> it's just there's a, a level of absurdity to it that you didn't have in the earlier Frankenstein films, but Karloff is so committed, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter at all, and and you know it's it's great that he I mean he's monologuing like immediately from the moment oh, yeah. you know luckily he's got his his minion there Daniel the hunchback to, to monologue too 
Uh, so he isn't just rambling off, you know, on his own. And that's the thing, too, is like I, my second title for House of Frankenstein is actually House of Exposition. Uh, because <laughs> I, I mean, almost every other line in this movie is exposition. It's like you have to tell every you know, there's so many different characters all crammed into this one movie that you have to spend a lot of time explaining everybody's backstory and or the mythology of Dracula, of the Wolfman, of the Frankenstein monster, and at the same time creating backstories for your new characters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot, uh, a lot going on dialogue-wise. It's very wordy. It's very over the top. Even for characters that you would think people would know their backstory. You know, with Lon Chaney Jr. and him doing the at night, I turn into a mom. You know, we know this. Everybody should know this at this point. This is, what, your third time in the role? Everybody should know this. But no, he's got to spend the time backing it up. It's absolutely right. And uh, you would think that if you're going to see House of Frankenstein, you've probably at least seen a couple of the you know earlier movies or one of the Wolfman movies. And the thing about Lon is Lon could be a terrific actor mm-hmm. um, in the right role and with the right director. And Earl Kitten was great visual director i mean i was when i was watching the movie the other night i was just i was really impressed by the camera move camera's always moving the shots are really well constructed and i think that's was that was earl Kitten's uh, strong point however i don't know if he was much of an actor's director because it doesn't <laughs> seem like he spent a lot of time going over how these lines are going to be read and and if you give lon cheney jr a line that uh, the line goes something like uh why have you released me from the ice that imprisoned the beast within me? I mean, yeah. that's hard for anybody to begin with. But, uh, it really is. <laughs> it goes against what uh, one of the great things about Lon's acting, which is that Lon could be a very naturalistic actor. He seemed like an everyday Joe, uh, you know, the uh, guy who lived down the street. I mean, he didn't have that sort of affected quality that, say, Karloff could have or, or Bela Lugosi could have. He was like all-American guy next door. So when you when you load those kind, that kind of dialogue onto him, it, it doesn't come across very well. <laughs> it comes across as very stagey and very uh, expositionally uh, written. So uh, it probably looked better on the page. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure it read great. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, on screen, it's a little like it's clunky stage. I think those are good ways to put it. Yeah, he still has an opportunity to do a little bit of what we know Cheney for. There's a moment when the gypsy girl asks him to smile for her, and there are no words exchanged, but he does kind of soften up, and that's our Lon Cheney right there, you know. Yeah, for and sure. That, and that's a wonderful moment. But yeah, for the most part, yeah, it's a little stiff. It's still it's it's fun. Oh yeah, no, uh, we're not, without a doubt. Either one we of us would be talking about that. it so much if it wasn't so much fun, you know. Oh no, uh, and it's it's got great. This movie has lots of great stuff in it. It really does. I mean, that ice cavern sequence is beautiful. I mean, like I I just love those shots in the snow and the ice that that you know say it had the same thing in, in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in the earlier film, but it's so different from what you're used to seeing in in Universal movies, which was mostly the foggy forest the dark castle-y kind of things. And then all of a sudden you're in this beautiful, you know, underground glacier, uh, which is where they, you know, uh, always find the Frankenstein monster somehow. He always ends up, you know, in yeah. some under, underground cave. always something. underground somewhere buried yeah. in something. Yeah. Whether it's sulfur or quicksand in House of Dracula, something. You know, they're always finding him buried in something. This yeah. movie has an interesting look compared to the previous films, which is 
which I love the previous films. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Wolfman, Frankenstein meets Wolfman and all that. But this film feels a little bit more modern to me. I mean, you got people calling each other on the telephone. Yeah. You know, we're not in the forest all the time. We're dark and spooky. There's a little bit of that with the Dracula stuff. It does seem like it has entered into a newer age mm-hmm. than the earlier films, um, and and actually House of Dracula uh, even more so. You know, there's still some of the horse-drawn carriage stuff. You don't see a lot of cars, but right. yeah, tele- but telephones and uh, looks like electricity. They probably have indoor plumbing. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's definitely uh, moved up a notch. <laughs> How much time do you think it was supposed to have passed between this one and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman? I mean, it, it feels like there's a few steps in technology there. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's always hard to tell because when you're dealing with characters that are essentially immortal, yeah, uh, any any amount of time could pass. Really, uh, there's a, a wonderful book. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Jeff Rovin's book, Return of the Wolfman. I love that book. A uh, fantastic book, and it's funny because you know he brings all the monsters into modern day times and and it and we don't even question it it just works mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty fun no it's a great book it's out of print unfortunately yeah. so it's going for top dollar on ebay and things like that but i really recommend people get their hands on it it ties in all the monsters that even makes a brief reference to the creature sure. yep. the abbott and costello movies all of them kind of sort of maybe the same characters it's really a great read yeah and even lugosi's uh, white zombie character i think uh, yeah is, yeah murder shows up right? yeah it, it's great 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 book i'd love to hear uh somebody do an audio book of it i'd love oh. to get you know get somebody you know great like like i don't know jeffrey coombs or someone like that to, to or lance henriksen you know oh, to, wow. to read it be how amazing would that be wow that's maybe something jeff should think about <laughs> <laughs> wow no it's a good book i Glad you mentioned it, because every chance I get, I'd like to talk about it, because it's a great read. I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing, that I, another thing that I really love about um, House of Frankenstein mm-hmm. is that Hans Salter's uh, score is uh, new. It, I mean, it's it's based on his previous work, but it isn't just a rehash of the scores from Ghost of Frankenstein and The Wolfman. Right. He actually brings brings some new juice uh, you know, to the stew. And it's some, some really nice stuff. I mean, I love the um, the creepy sort of carnival music, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at Lampini's uh, House of Horrors and uh, Esmeralda's uh, dance is really great. And one thing I really love, um, he created a, for this movie, he created a new sort of transformation theme for the Wolfman that is far more dynamic than uh, had been uh, done in the previous two film, Wolfman films. And it, it's just like this thing that as he transforms, it builds and it builds and it builds and, and it comes to this big crescendo and dun, 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 you know, and uh, it gives me a chill every time I hear it. It's great music. I'm a film score collector. I love my film music and I love Salter's work from his Universal monster movies. And The House of Frankenstein's got wonderful music. Like you said, it does kind of play up some of the themes from the previous films, but yeah. it is this new creation, this new full on film score with a few moments that have some wonderful crescendos. Like you said, the werewolf transformation scenes, uh, the way the film ends, the way that music just picks up and just boom, it, it's in your face at the very end. I love that. I love the music in this. I'm glad you mentioned it because I think our listeners are getting tired of me being the only guy who talks about film scores. So, <laughs> you know, and actually, it's really one of the best. I yes, think. I agree. Um, and and then it's it's disappointing then in House of Dracula where it just seems like 
uh, it was nothing new, um, and, yeah. and probably because they were they were kind of done, <laughs> you know. But they weren't going to put any more money into it if we could just use what uh, you know what's already in the library. Um, yeah. uh, even the opening title uh, sequence of House of Frankenstein has uh, a wonderful uh, new additions to what uh, Salter had already created for the earlier films. I always get excited by, uh, you know, th- that open those opening titles. Well, uh, the opening titles start with the two big names, Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney, the music's yeah. going, House of Frankenstein. You're in for a ride as soon as the titles start. Yeah. There's yeah. no buildup. You don't need a, a prologue here. You're right in it. It's great. Yeah. Uh, the movie is obviously very episodic. We've got the first half hour that is yeah. essentially the Dracula story and then, uh, and then they move on to finding the, the, the there's there's a Wolfman story and it really doesn't become the the Frankenstein monster story until the last ten minutes or whatever. But it's, it's, this is why it was so good for Castle films. <laughs> you remember the old Castle? Uh, oh yeah, I, would, I bet that it was perfect for those. Yeah. Because it was so easy for them to rather than try to condense a 90 minute movie into a, a 200 foot reel. This just was handed to them basically because you could just break up the movie into like three parts. And it was it was already done, you know. So yeah, no, that's a, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but that's a really good point because you really could just break this up into like three little shorts. Yeah, you know, the Dracula sequence is really very self-contained. It it makes me laugh. It's great to see Carradine in the role. It would have been really cool to see Lugosi in the role, but oh, yeah. I think he'd sort of fallen out of favor uh, at that point with the the execs at Universal, but. Um, Carradine is really suave, man. He is like Rico Suave Dracula. You know, he just like he just like slips into the room, and he's all you know with his nice tuxedo, and and uh, he's he's all uh, erudite, and you know, and he moves right in on the chick, you know, like. <laughs> of course he time. does. And he can't, and he can't really waste any time because let's face it. Neiman brings him back to life by pulling the stake out of the out of his ske- the skeleton, and then we get a nice you know John Fulton bringing Dracula back to life. Yeah, where you see all the veins and everything, and yeah. I, I love it's, it's he's very lucky though that with that comes the tuxedo. Uh, otherwise, it could be pretty embarrassing. <laughs> uh, but uh, good point. I've often wondered about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you start to question that. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a door that you don't want to open because there are so many things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, like the Wolfman, you know, changing out of his pajamas in uh, Frankenstein meets the yeah. Wolfman, <laughs> and, then, and then back into his pajamas again, which is pretty funny. But that that stuff that you just kind of go with, you know. And um, Dracula, you know, sees the pretty lady, and he's got this ring that is like the size of a big toe. <laughs> that he, you know, puts on her finger and it like kind of magically adjusts to her ring size. Uh, but here's what's really funny about the whole Dracula thing. It's like he, Nemon brings him back to life and they cut a quick unsavory deal. And then he goes to the Hussman house and he kills the Burgermeister and he's trying to get away with the lady. And eventually, um, I, I, not even eventually, because that sounds like a long period of time. But It really doesn't uh, take it, that long. It, it, yeah, he's basically only alive again for about six hours. You yeah. know, so he's got a lot to do in that time. Neiman and Daniel throw his coffin. You know, they're they're basically going to cut and run. They're going to throw him under the bus, literally, and and they throw his <laughs> coffin out. And and you know, he crashes the carriage that he's in, and and his coffin is up on this hilltop, and the sun is rising, and he 
you know, he's got to climb his way up there. It's a beautiful set. It looks great. But, you know, you know, these poor guys that edited these movies back then couldn't have any idea that one day we'd have DVD and we'd have Blu-rays and so forth. That's that we'd true. Literally yeah. pick, pick these movies to pieces frame by frame. And so I'm sure that when, when Carradine falls out of the carriage and he gets up to see that, you know, his coffin is up there, we see that half of his mustache has fallen off. I've never noticed that. Yeah, take really? a look. It is pretty funny. Oh, no. Um, and I'm sure that the editors of the movie saw it. I mean, they couldn't have missed it because literally half of his mustache is, is Oh, open. no. But I'm sure they thought, well, this is only a few seconds. Nobody will notice. And we, didn't, and we don't have any other coverage. We need yeah. the shot. No one will ever notice is what they're thinking. Well, they couldn't go in and CG in the mustache again. <laughs> exactly. <so>. Exactly. <laughs> so, and, you know, and there's there's a lot of gaffes like that in these films. And, and you know, they're forgivable. The, the, there's a beautiful transformation, not the best one of the series, but the transformation of uh, Talbot into the Wolfman when he's looking in the mirror right toward the end of the, end of the film. I really like these moments. Oh, yeah. He looks really freaking scary. Like mm-hmm. his eyes get all wide, and and he, you know, the makeup is just as good as it ever ever was. Yeah, Jack Pierce is still doing the makeup here, so it still looks great. Right, and you know, but the thing about it is, is the the peril of watching these movies too closely is that scene is so scary, and then it. I almost don't want to say what it is because uh, because once you see something like this, it can't be unseen. But there is a terrible gaff in that scene that if you <laughs> if you see it now go ahead and, and, all right i'm not giving it up and so i apologize to the listeners out there if it ruins it for you but he's so scary in the mirror and then he turns toward the camera so that the, the camera takes uh, mm-hmm. more of a medium sort of shot mm-hmm. and he turns toward the camera and you if you look in the mirror you can see that he doesn't have his gloves on yep his yeah. hands, his hands have not changed. Yep. And, and it's like the that's like I said the kind of thing where it's like I almost wish I had never noticed it, <laughs> and now I've ruined it for everyone out there also. Oh, so. I've, I've seen it. I still love it though. <laughs> I, I I'm aware of it, but I still love it. I love the transformation scenes. There's a darker edge to some of these transformation scenes in this movie that I don't remember seeing in the other films because. He does look terrified while being scary at the same time as it's happening to him. I think Cheney really shined in those moments. Yeah, I, I wish he had put the gloves on, but you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to figure too. I mean, the, uh, think about the ordeal of of going oh, yeah. through that process, which you know, I'm sure it was very difficult. You know, it takes time, um, and you've got to stay perfectly still. The best transformation uh, in the entire series is is the one in the hospital bed in the, in the earlier film in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. It's yes. the smoothest. Uh, it's the one that's kind of the most beautiful. But I would have to say that though this transformation is the scariest. Uh, just that the bulging eyes and the fierceness in his face is is really quite terrifying. It it really is, and it doesn't end with him howling at the moon or anything. So he's just off yeah. and running, and he's not announcing his presence. He's going to get you. It's and he crashes through that door. Oh man! Like you know, that is so cool. I mean, that's that's a fierce wolf man. He's oh, just yeah. not going to bother with you know trying to open the door with his <laughs> with, the, with his hands that don't have the gloves on. You know, he's just going to right through there. There's a rage. There's a rage yeah. there that's so. Yeah. Mm. And, th- and this is what we're talking about. You know, Cheney can do that. I can't imagine Lugosi having that level of <laughs> yeah <laughs> rage underneath the surface because he's just so smooth and suave. I mean, he's yeah. he's Lugosi, but yeah, I mean, Cheney's just in it. This was what the third time he played the Wolfman in this at this point. 
Third time, yeah. yeah. And, you know, Shane is a strong guy. You know, oh, yeah. A big guy. And in he's fact, a big guy, yeah. actually, in this film, he looks very fit. He, he looks like he's actually lost a few pounds between uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in this film. And he's, mm-hmm. he looks real good, you know. And when he, when he grabs Karloff, he does the, you know, the classic uh, Lon Chaney grab the lapel bit, yes. you know, yes. which does in pretty much every movie he's ever been in, you know, he's a, he's a lapel grabber of the, you know, first con, <laughs> but, you know, he grabs Karloff and he's like, I need you to work on me now that I think Karloff actually looks a little frightened. I was <laughs> so frightened I for him. I was like, oh my, it's, it's like, Karloff's a little older than you, man. Lay, lay off. Come on. It looks like he could just, even, even just not even as the, as the werewolf, but just as, just as tell he would just pummel him. You know, into the ground. So it's uh, it's yeah. very, and it works. You know, it really works. I I would have loved to, have, you know, seen. You know, I, again, the episodic part of all this is that the monsters don't really get to interact. You know, the Wolfman doesn't have any kind of confrontation with Dracula or the monster, and vice versa. You know what I mean? That the closest is, you know, Daniel's hunchback, and he's not really. Uh, I mean, he's a murderer, but um, but yeah. he's not a a monster in the true sense. They tried hard. I mean, they tried to really incorporate the whole hunchback element in there by all the all the usual hunchback attributes. I mean, he's powerful. He's agile. You see him like jumping over the train cars and, oh, and yeah. swinging around like like Quasimodo, like Quasimodo. Yeah. And then falling for a gypsy girl. Yep. So you have uh, Alanka performing this very Esmeralda esque kind of dance. You know, in her for in the first sequence that you see her in, yep. and you know, and he falls for her immediately because this is House of Frankenstein. And there's no time. We got to get everything done as fast as we can. So, you think we'll at least love at first sight, you know. And Alanka is first of all beautiful. She is just gorgeous. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and and I was very lucky to meet Elena Verdugo a few years ago. Oh, really? I did, I had done a, a drawing of her and uh, and the Wolfman and. Oh wow! Actually, it's in uh, the Kickstarter for my book. Oh, good. Uh, there's, okay. There's, quick, there's a quick shot in the video that's on the Kickstarter page of me and Elena Verdugo, and she's holding up the one of the the drawing I did for her. A very sweet lady. Very very nice lady. It was a real pleasure to to meet her. You know, Alanka's a, a bit of a, a flirt and. Um, isn't really as nice as she <laughs> seems to be, is she? She starts uh, out pretty sweet, but as yeah. soon as Talbot shows up, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, she drops Daniel like a dirty diaper. Yep. And your heart breaks for the guy. Uh, J. Carroll Nash is, is a terrific actor and really brings, uh, even though he kills people for Neman, uh, and we don't even know what he's in what he's in jail for. We never find that out. But you feel for him. Your heart breaks for the guy. And this is a movie that deals with a, a lot. One of the main themes is revenge. Yeah. So there's a lot of revenge going on in this. I mean, it's <laughs> it's really what drives most of the story forward is that you know Neon's need for revenge, which overpowers everything pretty much. Right. Um, and, and and then uh, you know Daniel wants revenge against Alanka for spurning him basically and, and so he has to tell her that you know Talbot's a werewolf and then she strikes back at him for doing that and it says he's ugly he's a, you're just an ugly hunchback I think are the exact words which is not not very PC at all I think <laughs> but uh, no <laughs> um, in that sense the script really works because each one of these things is is moving the story forward uh, as fast as possible and so it does accomplish what it's supposed to without a doubt yeah, that's true. It does move along at a pretty quick pace. There's not a lot of time to just kind of relax and, and 
enjoy like a moment it just mm-hmm. moves and, and that's what i was kind of saying at the beginning too where it just it's a ride from start to end there's really no reason to even stop and, and take a breath because <laughs> Naaman is this obsessed scientist guy the first time we see him he's reaching through the bars of his door threatening the guard and actually gets him in his hand he's choking him out not to be let out not for more food but because he wants chalk to draw more <laughs> third grade sketches on his wall Right. You know, his priorities are a little off, I think, if you're trying to get out and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think he really thinks far ahead, that far no. ahead for the most part. He, he wants revenge against uh, Strauss and Ullman, which sounds mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like a, a comedy team in this area. You know, <laughs> please welcome to the stage the comic stylings of Strauss and Ullman, everyone. Bravo. Uh, but, you know, he, he captures them, and he's got this crazy plan to put – the Wolfman's brain into Ullman's head and the other one's Strauss's brain in the monster. And, and again, just like the dog and the human thing, what's he going to get out of that exactly? I mean, he's going to write a paper about it later and publish it? Or, I, mean, I just doesn't – it doesn't really his, – his motivations seem extremely – I don't know. I, he's very unprofessional, I think, actually, as a – as a as a scientist, you know, very unprofessional. Totally, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we well, we have to, you know, also just talk about Glenn Strange because this was his first, um, oh yes. first, of, first of three outings as the, as the uh, Frankenstein monster, and he just looks fantastic. Oh, I, this is my favorite look for him. Now, I, I love him in the other movies, but in terms of his look, I love him in this. Hmm. Yeah, and, and he does. He is slightly different. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, basically it's the same makeup, but there is right. some. Yeah, I, like I'm I'm the kind of crazy obsessed person that I, you know I can look at a still from any one of the movies and I can tell you immediately just by the makeup which movie it was from. You know? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, uh, yeah, that's not crazy. I I can do yeah. that too. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean it's not crazy, Derek. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Mm. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're just we're just all in the in this the same crazy mode. But uh, uh, <laughs> crazy, am I? We'll see. It. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, wrong movie. Wrong movie. Wrong movie. <laughs> you know, Glenn is really in- intimidating. I mean, it's just his size alone, and you know, he doesn't get a lot to do. And in, in yeah, the, unfortunately, you know, yeah. Um, uh, you know, he really is. He does. He does become what Karloff had feared. Karloff had said, you know, he quit playing the monster because this is for this very reason. He said he just saw him becoming a a, a set piece for the third act. Uh, of the movie and in some cases this the last you know five or ten minutes of the movie i think i do i do have to say that i think that karloff was wrong about ghost of frankenstein and not to go off on too much of a tangent here but i think that the monster's role in ghost of frankenstein is actually better than the one in son of frankenstein oh he really has, i think he's got a lot more to do now it's cheney playing him instead of karloff but i think i think that basically you know karloff sort of gave in too quickly because i think if karloff had played the monster in ghost of frankenstein if you think about it you think about the scenes in the, the little trial they put him on and the all the stuff with the little girl and and so forth oh, um, yeah you know i think i think it would have been marvelous you know and cheney's fine but karloff would have made that that movie a, a real winner. But then, getting back to what we were, were talking about, um, he was right. I mean, because the the monster is a prop for a good what nine tenths of the movie for and, a movie called House of Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein yes. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't have a lot to do. 
and that's funny. Was I think uh, it was the original title was The Devil's Brood. Is that correct? I, I, that sounds about right. Which actually is a great title, I think. But I'm sure oh, yeah. uh, Universal Marketing people were like, uh, no, you know, we, that doesn't tie into the franchise. We need to have the name Frankenstein in the title uh, in order to market it correctly. And, you know, probably I'm sure they're right. But, uh, yeah, House of Frankenstein is kind of ironic since the the monster is the is the least monster that we have in this movie it really is. he shows up more in house of dracula than he does in house of frankenstein he has more yeah. to do so yeah most of the time he's just he's just taking it easy he's chilling out on the, on the slab <laughs> you know but when he does when he gets mad you know when he finally breaks oh, loose oh wow yeah no it's, his... it's it's powerful and you know the way he grabs Daniel oh. and just like whoosh, just like throws him around like he's a tissue, you know. Yeah. I mean, and uh, and then that that great great stunt. It's kind of hard to tell. I mean, I think it, I think it is a stunt man. It's not a dummy that that uh, takes that fall. I looked at it a couple of times because it had been a while since I'd watched this movie before watching it for this, and I had forgotten about how intense. Daniel's exit. <laughs> it really is. So I went back and I watched it a couple times. I think it's a stuntman too. It doesn't move like a dummy the way like Colin Clive does at the end of Frankenstein. It, it, or Colin Clive's character anyway. It really does look like a person and it's, it's a pretty intense moment and shows that the Frankenstein's monster, even though he's been hanging out all movie, he's still got some power. Yeah. It's very yeah. strong. It's just, it's just unfortunate that it's so short. That we only get to enjoy him, and uh, that's the only thing he does. Really, is he kills Daniel uh, yeah. because the the villagers show up with their torches, of course and, they do, and so forth, and and you know, and it's funny because because the, the the one guy is like, uh, the monster hates fire. I was like, well, how how do, how do you know that exactly? I mean, uh, <laughs> was, was is there a scorecard or something that came with the monsters <laughs> that we all know? Everyone seems to know everything about like every monster, you know. Well, they collect the trading cards, so you know. Yeah, they exactly. get- <laughs> yeah. Need it, got it, need it, got it, need it, got it. Um, and I think at one point too, I remember reading that uh, they they had attempted at one point in the development stage of this to put the mummy in there too, oh, which wow. would have really been a, a, a hilarious, I think. How I mean, just have- like <laughs> trying to squeeze all that in there. And you know, the mummy movies, you always had to have uh, some horn dog priest. Uh, that you know came along with the mummy, so I guess that's how they would try to tie that in, and, and uh, you know, played by either yeah. Carradine or George Zuko, who are both right. of this movie. So you're set, right? Yeah, so they have to find a new one. There's a funny though. All those mummy movies, like the, the the high priest is supposed to take care of things. It always turns out to be a horn dog. He's always mm-hmm. like, I'll, I'll put this aside because I like the check, you know. Yep, priorities, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the thing about the end of of House of Frankenstein, that's when you think about it, it's pretty rough. Nobody lives. <laughs> I mean, seriously, nobody makes it to the end. I mean, not, it, characters from the the first segment, the Dracula segment, the the guy and the gal who are like have these gigantic smiles, you know, yeah, like smiling like that, you know, like like gle- their teeth are gleaming, and uh, you know, they, I mean, they live, but but you know, but then you know, the bulk of the movie is the the Wolfman and, and Frankenstein monster uh, segments, and and at the end of that movie, there's no one left standing. No, you're right. It totally yeah. ends. The people who had the happily ever after ending, their story stopped about 20 minutes into the movie. So, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So the rest of it, it does just kind of end, and then the music picks up, and it just it just ends. There's no denouement. It just yeah. stops. It's dark, man. Yeah. It is. It is a dark film. 
despite all the you know the the gaffes and so forth and the exposition, I find it to be a, a pretty strong strong entry in the the whole uh, Universal uh, lineup. I'd certainly watch it again over almost any one of the the Mummy sequels. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, I'm a big Wolfman fan, though. So, you know, right off the bat, I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna prefer to watch Cheney as a Wolfman, uh, you know, as opposed to the Mummy or Count Alucard. <laughs> See, I love the Mummy. I love the Mummy films. I'm a huge Mummy fan, anyway. But I think before we get to like having Casella meet Frankenstein, this one, House of Frankenstein, really is the peak for me yeah. of the monster rallies. And I mean, even though you don't have Lugosi, you know. Obviously, they were still pumping some money into it for the makeups and, and so forth. And then House of Dracula pales in it comparison. It really does. Now, I knew when I sat down with Frank that we'd start talking about House of Dracula as well, because you can't really talk about one without talking about the other. They just kind of lend themselves to some natural comparing and contrasting. On top of that, they were released one year apart from each other. So... In a couple of days, Frank and I are going to continue our conversation, and we're going to dovetail into talking about House of Dracula from 1945. If you're not familiar with Frank's artwork, look him up. Just type in Frank Dietz, that's D-I-E-T-Z, and do a Google image search or Yahoo or Bing or whatever search engine you use. Just look him up, look at his artwork. I think you're going to dig it. And if you really dig it, well... Check out his Kickstarter project. Just look up Frank Dietz at Kickstarter. It's called Sketchy Things, The Art of Frank Dietz. It's a collection of his best artwork and some new stuff as well. It's good stuff. As was his documentary, Beast Wishes. It's all about Bob and Kathy Burns. I'd go as far as saying as there are a couple of the original Monster Kids. It's a great documentary. You can find out more about that over at the website for Benevolent Monster Productions. That's BenMonsterFilms.com. Again, link in the show notes. Frank's a good guy. I appreciate him taking the time to appear here on the show. Now, he mentioned the music from House of Frankenstein and how it's, well, really good. And I couldn't agree more. I love that music so much that there are a couple of tracks from that in our Live 365 internet radio station. Again, just go to live365.com and look up Monster Kid Radio or follow the link at our homepage. And you can listen to that music as well as everything else we've got programmed into that internet radio station right away. It's free. It's ad-driven, but it's free to you to listen. So if you're looking for something to keep your ears busy before the next episode of Monster Kid Radio, well, there you go. Like I said, we'll be back here in a couple of days to talk about House of Dracula. Hopefully we'll know what the next movie is going to be at the Joy Cinema for their Weird Wednesday event. And... It's episode 150 here in a couple of days. I didn't realize that. I mean, I kind of sort of knew that, but really 150 is kind of a big one. It's a milestone number to celebrate. Well, I have a special announcement we'll be making on episode 150. So come back for that. Come back for House of Dracula. Come back for more Frank or come back for maybe some feedback that anybody feels like calling in or sending into the show. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And we have a voicemail line at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If you have any thoughts about House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein, or anything else that we've talked about here on the show over the past 140 eight episodes of the show, I'd love to put you in the mix next time around. 
Until then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Out of Control. That song belongs to the band The Mighty Surf Lords over at MightySurfLords.com. It's on their album Into the Surf, and they've allowed us to play it here on Monster Kid Radio. So thanks to them. Thanks to you guys and gals for listening. Talk to you here in a couple of days. (laughs) 